are beginning a new message series uh, called Proximate. And this idea of Proximate is one uh, that I began pondering on back in August. I had the p- privilege of going to a, a global leadership summit uh, hosted by Willow Creek Church and a, a guy named Bill Hybels there. But there was a guy who spoke, and um, he was a, a lawyer here in the States. His name is Brian Stevenson, and he wrote a book called Just Mercy. And uh, what he was talking about in his 40-minute uh, TED Talk type thing uh, was the fact that the prison system has changed so radically in the last really 30, 40 uh, years. Matter of fact, in the early 1970s, you had about 300,000 people incarcerated here in the States. Now you have over 2 million people incarcerated. But what struck me and really led to the idea of this series called Proximate is what he said next. He said the reason that that is the case is because he said the way that we view this epidemic of drugs, he said for lawmakers, he said what they decided many years ago is that the drug challenges that we have here in the States would be a criminal problem as opposed to a medical one. He said we could have put that in any two categories. He said we could have taken the drug situation and he said we could have dealt with it from the idea of health. And he said, and that would have cost us just as much money But he said, what we chose to do is make it a criminal problem. And he said, but here's my theory. And this is what struck me to the core. He said, it's because lawmakers were not willing to get close enough to the individual to know what was going on in their life to know the need. And so it was easier for us just to call it a criminal problem. Now, whether he's right or wrong is not really the purpose of this series, What it is, though, is this idea that God struck in my life in that moment of what would it look like if we were willing to get a little closer to some of the things that we complain about? What would it look like if we began to look at this world through a different lens, maybe from a lens that's not a a lens that would just, because of social justice issues, but a lens that Jesus seemed to look at. Like, if you think about Jesus he hung around people that you and I oftentimes wouldn't. Like he hung, he hung around people that had lots of differences than he did. I mean, think about it. In John chapter 4, him sitting with a woman at a well who was practically an outcast in her society. And she happened to be a woman from Samaria. Now, for most of us, we would just turn off our TV at that point or we would boycott whatever that situation was just because we refused to get too close. And I think it has something to do with the narrative that we have in our life. And so over the next few weeks, as we approach this Christmas season, all I'm asking is that one of two things would happen. Whether you're here in the Wills Point campus or whether you're joining us um, in the Edgewood campus, wherever it is that God has you, I'm asking you that you would ask the Lord, would you soften my heart and would you give me eyes to see the world in the way that you see the world? And then the other thing is, is, Could we potentially be a church that's willing to have conversations? And even if we disagree that we're willing to say that it wouldn't part fellowship? Because what happened to that? Like what happened to that? I don't agree with you. I love you. I understand where you're coming from, but we shouldn't split fellowship. And that's what's missing in our culture. If we disagree, we hate you. If we don't agree, then we have a problem with you, and we can't have dialogue anymore. And so I'll tell you that not everything is said over the next few weeks is probably going to be something you agree with, and that's okay. 
I'm giving you permission to disagree with some of the things I say. I am willing to have a cup of coffee with you to help you understand maybe some of the things that I do say. And I'm also helping you understand that you should also have cups of coffee with people that are different than you. To seek to understand why it is they hold the position they do. And then ask yourself, can I disagree with them? And even in the midst of my disagreement, can I still love them the way that Jesus loves them? That's what it means to get proximate. And so I'm going to challenge our church over the next few weeks to really get proximate. Now, I want you to realize that if you're going to get proximate, you're going to get close to a situation, you're going to get close to a person, then you, really, you need to realize that there's a lot at stake. But I would also say that I don't think that you can be an effective leader in your company without getting close to some of the challenges that are nearby. I don't think that you can be effective as a Christ follower if you live from a distance. I don't think that you can be effective in evangelism of reaching your neighbor if you don't know them. I don't think that you can be effective in reaching and providing for a need in our community if you're unwilling to slow down to look. See, proximate means that we get a touch uncomfortable, that we're willing to get out of our busyness, the the routines that we're in, and we're willing to get near someone who's suffering and who's hurting, that we're willing to put some of our own agendas aside. I'll tell you, though, one of the problems with all of this is not just the fact that we don't like to be uncomfortable, but it's our narrative. I mean, from the very time you were born, your parents told you to stay out of that part of town. Don't go there after it's a, what, certain time of the night. I mean, you think about it. As a parent, you probably informed your kids of such a thing. And so as you start thinking about getting proximate, you know it makes you uncomfortable. It changes your narrative, but it causes conversation. I think biologically, we're wired to keep it safe, to play it safe, to stay comfortable. But God's calling us to something different as the church. And you know, as we talk about this idea of proximate, you might think, oh, I'm going to bring up a huge social issue today that we need to talk about. But I actually am going to ask you to get proximate to something different. I'm going to ask you to get proximate to your weakness. To your weakness. And you go, I I don't understand what you're saying. Well, well, let me explain something to you real, real quickly. If you were to go to monster.com and you were to begin preparing for an interview, they coach you to avoid your weaknesses. Matter of fact, when you go into an interview, what do you do? You talk about how great you are, about all of your strengths, about all of your certifications, about all the things that you've done right. And then when they finally ask you a question about your weaknesses, you say something ridiculous like this. Well, I'm a big picture guy. And so every now and then, I miss the details. Really? Well, what does that mean? But we coach ourselves to not deal with our weaknesses. We are taught from a very early age to show strengths and to move away from weaknesses. Now, I would say that in recent years, top leaders in the nation have spoken about the issue of getting closer to some of your inadequacies. Begin getting comfortable with your weakness. But I would tell you this, I think there's a guy in the scriptures who he realized what weakness was there for. 
If you have your Bibles, I want you to just walk through this passage among a couple others to help us begin to understand what weaknesses are there for. And not only as we become a little bit more aware of our weaknesses, but also the weaknesses around us, that we would get proximate to those because potentially we may see what God wants to do in the middle of them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you're going to see a guy named Paul. Paul, the guy who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, the the guy who his life was radically transformed in Acts chapter 9 on the road of Damascus. Paul, the guy who planted multiple churches. Paul, the guy who was imprisoned harshly but seemed to endure through it. Paul, the guy who said, it is better to die and be with Christ by far, like the hero of the faith. Like what weaknesses does this guy have? But in 2 Corinthians 12, I want you to see that he has weaknesses, and not only does he have them, but they're there for a reason. In verse 7, after he talks about being called up to the third heaven, he talks about seeing some incredible visions given to him by God. In verse 7, he says, So to keep me from being becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me. Now, the idea of that thorn was that there was a, a thing that God gave to him. And it, it wasn't um, a thumbtack, so to say, but it was a stake. It was something that he was tied to. It was something that pained him. It was something that, what was given to him? Now, when you think about what's given to him, you need to realize it wasn't afflicted upon him. It wasn't that Satan had all this authority and all this control in his life. And Paul was just subjected to his authority. No, what it was is that somehow God allowed the adversary, the enemy, to touch Paul in some tangible way that affected his life and ultimately had some bearing on his ministry. Now, I don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that it was in the flesh. And as you continue in the latter part of verse 7, it says, it was a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. So think about that for just a second. We're always talking about our strengths and we never really want to identify our weaknesses. But Paul says, there was a, there was a pain that was given to me that was not inflicted upon me, but was given to me by God in some ways as he allowed the enemy, the adversary to attack me and my ministry as I seem to in the scriptures deal personally with this struggle that will not go away. Then you think, well, what was it? And nobody knows what the infirmity was. Like nobody has a a real idea. There's some speculation. Some would say, well, maybe he had a problem with lust. Maybe he had a problem with temptation uh, in in that regard. Maybe um, it was a pride issue. Possibly it could have been malaria that day. Maybe he had headaches. Maybe it was just this severe struggle that wouldn't go away physically. Nobody really knows, but here's what we do know. We know that it was there to keep him from becoming arrogant. And it seemed to be something that he drew near to often, because if he didn't draw near to it, then he would think that somehow his ministry was, being, was accomplishing all these things for God because of his own, what, worth and all of his own strengths. But then you see in verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, Paul was this guy who I think was a prayer warrior. 
And it seemed here that he prayed fervently and passionately about this. I mean, three times he pleads with the Lord. This to me looks like one of those prayers where you, you hit your knees and you beg the Lord to please take this from me. But then you see this incredible response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So in the middle of this struggle, you get Paul who seems to be praying fervently, almost at Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about all things. And, and what, you, you give thanksgiving, you let your requests be made to known, uh, known to God. That seems to be what he's doing. And then he gets this response and God goes, no, no, no. You need to realize that my grace is sufficient for you. That while you are weak, I am perfecting my power in you. And then you start thinking about God's grace. Like, is grace really enough? And, and have you ever thought about like that? You said, hey, God, may God bless you. Hey, may grace and peace go with you. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what does grace even look like? I mean, for Paul, a guy who's done all this ministry for him, has had this incredible revelation from God, been caught up to the third heaven, speaks mildly about it. We don't have a lot of significant details. And then he goes, and then I have this adversary, this thorn in my flesh that I feel like it's an affliction, but somehow is being used by God not to curse me, but to grow me and actually weaken me to increase my dependency upon him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what the Lord says. My grace is sufficient for you. So think about this real quickly. When you're willing to get proximate to your weakness, the God of heaven and earth is willing to get proximate to you. As you get proximate to your weaknesses, the very things that you don't like to talk about, the very things that will not be brought up in your job interview, the very things that you don't wanna bring up to your wife but you've been struggling with since you were a child, those are the weaknesses that God says draw near to. Why? Because in your weakness, I am perfecting my strength. My grace is sufficient. So when God's grace is sufficient, here's a couple things you should think about. When his grace is sufficient, it means that you are always accepted by a God who loves you. That no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter what company doesn't hire you because they assume these weaknesses are going to hurt them, God says, don't worry about that because those weaknesses are a gift from God in some ways that you would draw near to the one who would perfect you. Draw near to your weaknesses because God accepts you. He takes pleasure in you the way you are. God's grace is sufficient for you. It means that God is available to you at all times, that he never leaves nor forsakes you, that you can cast your burdens upon him. That's the idea. And that God says, my grace is sufficient for you means that you can meet all of life's demands, all of God's desire for you can be met because his strength is enough. So you can be comfortable in who God's created you to be. You can know that he's never going to leave you. He's with you all the time. And you can also know that anytime you feel weak, you can draw near to his strength. Now that's grace being made perfect. And then verse nine, the latter part, it says, therefore I will boast and Paul goes, I will boast. I'm going to boast. I'm going to get arrogant about something. And he says, and I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. 
Now, let me tell you, that's a new one. That's like you going into the interview and saying, hey, I don't have a whole lot good about me. Let me tell you about my weaknesses and what God's taught me and how it's affected the way I view society at large, about how I view people. And this is why I think I can be a benefit. And my benefit has nothing to do with my strengths, but everything to do with my weaknesses. You're probably going to get laughed out of the room, aren't you? Like there's a great possibility that people are going to go, okay, yeah, right. We'll call you. Don't worry about calling us. We'll call you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here is a Christian thought that I think is so ludicrous. That is that as we mature as Christians, that we say something like, I don't have to have God as much. I'm a little bit more independent. I've grown stronger. I'm more mature. That temptation doesn't get me anymore. Oh, I've really grown up. I've matured in my faith. And that seems to be counterintuitive to what the scriptures tell us. But you'd be surprised at how many men I hang around and I go, man, how are you doing with this struggle you talked about four or five months ago? Oh man, I'm doing good. I think I've outgrown that one. And I'm like, I think you're going to see me again in a couple of weeks. Why? Because we don't outgrow our weaknesses. You don't outgrow those temptations that have seized you unless you draw near to the one who is strong. We are not mature as Christians when we somehow think we're independent of God. Matter of fact, we become mature as Christians when we embrace our weaknesses and because of that, we draw more near to God. When our dependence upon him, our sole existence exists because we are weak, we are malnourished, and in and of ourselves, we're probably going to run our marriage off of the tracks. People ask me all the time, Brandon, man, tell me about your church. I'm like, it is a gift of God, and I do everything I can not to screw it up. And what I mean by that is simply this. I depend on Jesus because it has nothing to do with me. And when it starts being something to do with me, then you're going to start needing to get off the boat. And so I hope that I lead out of my weaknesses. And I tell you, I have a lot of weaknesses. I have lots of insecurities. In verse 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My friends, that's why I love regeneration ministry. Not because people have their lives together, but so that they can boast and get arrogant in the Lord as they stand on this very stage and you hear somebody say, I struggle with pornography. I struggle with pride. I struggle with people pleasing. I struggle with perfectionism. I struggle with my image as a, as a woman with this body. I struggle here and here and here. And they're just laying out weakness after weakness after weakness. And you know what that weakness is? It follows these words. Hi, my name is Brandon. I am alive in Christ. And I struggle with pride, people pleasing. And the list goes on. That's when you begin to get used to your weaknesses. But here's what I want you to realize. 
is that in our weaknesses, if we don't embrace them, then we have to what? Take all of God's plan for our lives and we have to carry it on our shoulders. Like we almost feel the burden that I have to have my life together. And I think the church has cultivated that type of environment for centuries. That you have to have your life together. That somehow you got to clean yourself up if you're going to go there. And I'll tell you, I don't see that as being a New Testament practice. Like you think I have to be admired. I have to be funny. I have to be a successful business person. I have to look like a leader. I have to, what, be a successful pastor. What does that mean? It means that I have to jump at everybody's demands? I mean, that list would grow endless. I have to have obedient kids. They have to act a certain way or I must not be a great parent. There's so many weaknesses that are prevalent in our life and we run from them. But perhaps what if we ran to them knowing that in our weaknesses, God could be strong on our behalf? See, that I think is really important. And, and the way that you view weaknesses is crucial. And here's what I think I believe. You may not agree with this, but I think this is true for me. When we think of weaknesses, we either fear them or we make fun of them. We either fear them or we make fun of them. Now, here's what I mean by that. Think about it. When you think about someone that you compare yourself to, the reason you fear them is because you can't find the weaknesses that you find in your life, and so you fear that person. Or if you find weaknesses and they're really easy to see, then you begin to make fun of them. Why? Because it makes you more secure in your weaknesses. And so we fear those who are different than us because they seem to have qualities and skill sets that are above us. And so we step back from them. I honestly believe that most people, they lack in leadership and their companies fail to flourish because they won't hire people that they think are above their qualifications. Why? Because if we hire less, we always look better. But guess what? Our leadership stinks our companies don't flourish, and you wonder why things aren't getting better. And oftentimes, it's at the top. There needs to be a paradigm shift, and people need to settle into their weaknesses enough to hire people with great strengths around them. Now, for you, all you business leaders in here, you can pay me money for that one later. But I'll tell you, I think we're so insecure that we would rather get people around us that are weak so that we feel better about ourselves. But I'll tell you, I think one of the most prevalent things that are happening right now in our society, and we see it all the time, is that we look at other people and we fail to see the glory of God and their weaknesses. And I think one of the most tragic things that's happening in the church world today are so-called Christian friends being terrors on the playground because they make fun of kids with differences. What if you were to get proximate to someone that was different than you, that had weaknesses that were glaring? I mean, think about all the weaknesses there are. 
I mean, people with Down syndrome, physical defects. Think about being overweight or seeming somewhat unintelligent. Think about someone not being handsome or beautiful. Think about what you've said to your kids. Like, hey, they're a little bit weird. We probably don't need to hang out too much with them. You know, they don't really live where we live. Son, it's great for you to kind of love on him, but don't get too close. He's probably not, we're probably not gonna be able to have him over to the house. You're not going over there. What about this feeling of not being out, outgoing enough or funny enough? Like, do you see all these things that even as young kids, we begin to teach our kids to move towards their strengths, to, to what? Play off their weaknesses, and then in doing so, they move away. They're not proximate to other people with weaknesses. I don't know if y'all saw this clip, but I want to show it to you. But it's an incredible clip of a guy named Frank Stevens. Frank Stevens is a guy with Down syndrome who recently spoke to Congress. But here's what's crazy, that in our society, right now at large, we're having to ask ourselves the question, and parents, if you have a child in the last five years, are having to speak to medical professionals who encourage you that if somehow in the early parts of conception, you notice something glaring about what's happening in that embryo, that you have a choice you have a choice if you'd like, your baby's possibly going to be born with Down syndrome or your baby's possibly going to be born, born with cystic fibrosis. Would you like to test this? And what is the question? The question is, would you like to terminate this before it gets out of hand? And I love, I love, I love this speech. And here's why, because it gets close to a weakness. And see, God doesn't just get close to weaknesses in our lives like he did Paul, but think about John chapter 9. The disciples, as they're walking down the road with Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, why is it that this man is born blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin that he's born this way? And Jesus says what? It's neither. It's so the power of God may be displayed in his life. Do you realize that weaknesses are there so the power of God may be displayed? So what are we saying no to that God is saying draw near to? Y'all check this out because I think it's transforming in terms of the way we're going to wrap this thing up today. So check it out. No one knows more about life with Down syndrome than, than, than I do. Whatever, whatever you learn today, please Remember this, I am a man with Down syndrome, and my life is worth living. Some people say prenatal screens will identify Down syndrome in the womb, and those pregnancies will just be terminated. It's hard for me to sit here and say those words. I completely, I completely understand that 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 the people pushing this particular final solution are saying that that people like me should not exist. That view is deeply prejudiced. By an, uh, by an out, 
outdated idea of life with, with of life with Down syndrome. Seriously, I have a great life. I have I have lectured at universities, acted in, in an award-winning film and an Emmy-winning TV show, and spoken to thousands of young people about the value of inclusion in making America great. I have been to the White House twice, and I didn't have to jump the fence either time. <laughs> Seriously, I don't feel I should have to justify my existence. But, but to those who question the value of people with Down syndrome, I would like, you know, I would make three points. First, we, 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 are, we are a medical gift to society, a blueprint for, for, for medical research into cancer, Alzheimer's, and immune system disorders. Second, we are in an unusually powerful source of happiness. A Harvard-based study has discovered that People with Down syndrome, as well as their parents and siblings, are, are happier than society at large. Surely happiness is, is worth something. Finally, we are the, we are the canary in the, eugenics, in the eugenics coal mine. We are giving the world a chance to think about the ethics of choosing which humans get a chance at life. So we are helping to defeat cancer and Alzheimer's. And we make the world a happier place. Is there, is there really no place for us in the, the, in the, the, the world? On a deeply personal note, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that my extra chromosome might lead to the answer to, to Alzheimer's. It's likely that, that this, it's likely that this thief will one day steal my memories, my very life, from me. This is very hard for me to say, but it has already begun to steal my mom from me. Please, think about all those people you love, the way I love my mom. Help us make this difference. If not for me and my mom, then for, then for you and the ones you love. Let's be America.
Let's make our goal to be Alzheimer's free, not Down syndrome free. Thank you. Thank you. So when you think about getting proximate, I want you to realize that the thing that prevents you from getting close to someone with weaknesses is fear. And the only way you overcome that fear is if you realize how God has created you and you embrace that, that you're willing to get close to your weaknesses and be okay because being who you are in Jesus is enough. I mean, that's the idea of 1 John 4, 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not, made in, uh, is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And the only way that you're able to get close to others' weaknesses is if you realize that weaknesses are actually a gift from God. That is, we draw near to our own weaknesses, but also the weaknesses of others. We get to see the power of God displayed. I'll tell you one of the most incredible stories about that is when Corey Ten Boom, who survived the Holocaust, was in Russia during the Cold War. And she writes about this incredible story um, in, in her book. And it's called Tramp for the Lord, if you ever want to just pick it up and read a little bit. But during that time in Russia, during the Cold War, she is visiting a home of a lady who has multiple sclerosis. And as this lady sits, lounges on this couch, she looks at her twisted body, and it doesn't seem to work at all. But yet there's one index finger that's not affected by multiple sclerosis. Now, during this time in Russia and the Cold War, Christians are being harshly persecuted and there are police that are combing the streets day in and day out looking for people who are close to the idea of Christianity. Now, this woman with multiple sclerosis is on her couch, but with that one index finger, she is translating every day for hours upon hours, even into the night with very little sleep, the Bible into the Russian language. And as Corey Ten Boone sits and she watches this, she just begins to weep. And as she begins to weep, she begins to audibly cry out, Lord, would you just heal this lady? And it's almost like abruptly in the middle of this prayer, her husband says, no, 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 no. What are you praying for? What you need to realize is that this is tough. And obviously it was very demanding of her husband, all the care that it took to keep her being able to do what she did day in and day out. And he wasn't saying that it was easy, but what he did say was profound. He says, you could wish her to be healed, but you would wish away the very thing that God is usually using to accomplish his purposes. See, in her suffering, the Russian police don't even stop by our house. Why? Because they know that all my job is to do is care for her, and they look at her twisted and her mangled body, and they say, she's useless to society, and she's not worth looking upon. And so guess what? They haven't visited our house in months, and God is using her weakness to make her life count. I thought, man, what would it look like if we began to see others' weaknesses 
as the potential for God to make something count. What if we began to draw near to the things that we don't like about ourselves and we said, God, I really don't like this. God, I wish you would have taken this away. God, I wish I wouldn't have had this experience in my life, but God, because I did and because you won't, God, would you help me to draw near to this very time in my life and this weakness that I wish would go away so that your glory is manifested and that my life counts for the purposes of God. And the reason that you and I need to realize that is because God wants us to get proximate to our weaknesses and to others. And I'll tell you, it's going to happen if you're willing to do three things. And I'll tell you, if you're not willing to do these three things, if you're not willing to embrace this message here, I promise you, you won't embrace the next few. Because the only way you'll see people through a different lens is if you're willing to see your weaknesses and draw near to a God who wants to be proximate to you in those weaknesses. The only way you'll be able to move forward in this message series is if you're able to look at other people's weaknesses and say, perhaps maybe that's the way God's going to get something accomplished in their life. And so here's the real quick ways for you to get proximate in your weaknesses. And number one is to get proximate to God. Like if you don't draw near to him, you'll never embrace your weaknesses. And you'll never use the strengths for his purposes. And so in some form, shape, or fashion, you're going to have to draw near to him and say, God, would you just help me to be comfortable with who I am? God, with all the things I would change, with all the weaknesses I have that would never be brought up in a job interview, God, would you just help me to draw near to you? Embrace those. Number two is for you to understand that God accomplishes his purpose through weaknesses, yours and others. I mean, isn't it Paul that wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God has a habit of using weak things. Matter of fact, as we approach the Christmas season, have you ever thought about Jesus? A man that Isaiah says was of no comely appearance, who came from a no-body family, no prestige, no money, no fame. He didn't come as a king from a, a, an incredible family with lots of riches. No, he was meager. He was lowly and despised. Even people said, who is this and what good could come from the city of Nazareth? Like, did you think that Jesus somehow just showed up lowly and despised out of mistake? Did you think that maybe God just forgot to book his reservations at the end that night? No. He had a purpose in bringing the Savior of the world in weakness. Because those who are unwilling to embrace their weakness will miss a Savior who can do something about them. And that's why we should have to draw near because salvation comes when we're willing to become weak. And number three, if you're going to embrace all of this, then you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You have to slow down. And if God's only given you one finger, use that finger well. But get, get this. There were many times where it looked like that finger stopped 
And then it would keep going again. Dallas Willard says this, Hurry is not just a condition with my outer body and having many things to do. It is a condition with my inward spirit where I am so preoccupied with myself and my agenda that I have no space or availability to be present with God and the people in my life. It's not that you just have a frantic schedule and that you're running here or there. It's that people with differences and weaknesses annoy you. And you wish they'd get out of your office because they're taking too much of your time. No, draw near to people with weakness. Look at every opportunity that God gives you as manna from heaven and say, God, would you just supply my needs today? Would I embrace my weaknesses and the weaknesses of others? Let me pray for us. God, would you please help us draw near to you? God, would you help us to get proximate to our weaknesses and the weaknesses of those around us? God, we live in a culture where it's easy to brag about who we are and about where we come from and about what degrees we have and about what business we've built. But God, what would it look like if we just got really honest with ourselves and got really honest with one or two people in our lives and we just began to be okay with who we are and how you created us to be? What if we were okay if our life was not always okay? Because not being okay caused us to depend more upon you. And it began to help us see others in a different way. God, we love you and we ask that you would help us as we work through this idea of becoming proximate to the very things that are in our lives. God, help us to be more dependent upon you. We love you and we trust you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.